This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. Three golden words. Don't make excuses. I used to know quite a big name in the world of television comedy and his shows never quite made it. And he always said, oh, it's because it was the right format, but on the wrong channel. Or it was the right channel, but the wrong time slot or his co-stars were a problem, or he had a bad producer. He always had excuses. In the end, it didn't work out. Excuses just get in the way, because what excuses do is stop you getting better and stop you really looking at yourself and accepting the cold, hard truth about what's working and what isn't. So make yourself a no-excuses person, because excuses are a barrier to glory. I hope uh, all is good. How was your week? I've had a decent week. Further to our chat a couple of weeks ago, I've tried to prioritise sleep. Um, The real test, the real metric is, did you wake up naturally or was it an alarm? If an alarm is getting you up, I know it's obvious, but a lot of the great truths of life are obvious. Um, If an alarm is waking you up, you are going to bed too late. So, Um, A big thing, by the way, all the stuff we talk about on this show, we're a very forgiving program. I'm a very forgiving person. You've got to forgive yourself. That was the theme of last week's show. And therefore, if you've been aiming to improve an area and you're not improving it or you've relapsed, that's okay. It's actually absolutely fine. Just get back on that horse. So for the next few days, why don't you try to prioritize your sleep? And I think the big thing is just go to bed, lie in bed. And even if you're not tired, just lie there, close your eyes and see what happens. And you'll be amazed. Surprise, surprise. You'll find that you fell asleep. It's a great thing. Um, Another very important theme of the show, and it's a hardy perennial, is get on with it. Okay, so you've got to go to work and there's this task you've got to do. You've got a headache. Get on with it. Do the work with the headache. So Um, I'm proving that today because if you listen in the background, you might be able to hear my son having his trumpet lesson. Um, Occasionally you'll you'll hear a bit of blowing and a bit of uh, puffing and a bit of brass action, a bit of... And therefore it is his trumpet lesson. And I just thought, well, I can't do the podcast because he's having his trumpet lesson. And I thought, well, no, my message to you is that whatever the circumstances, whatever the barriers, just do it anyway. And we will do a podcast with my son having his trumpet lesson in the background. That's okay. I mean, you don't mind, do you? It's actually a lovely instrument and he plays it very well. And also the other great irony is you might not hear it at all because I can hear it, but maybe you can't. Um, Next time he's really giving it some, I'll just be quiet for a second and you can just listen with your ears and see if see if you can hear anything. But yeah, get on with it, folks. Um, Difficult people. Okay horrible people. We all encounter them, don't we? We don't know why they're horrible. It might be in the DNA. It could be in the hard drive, just the chip that they've got, the chipset of not being a nice person. 
but more likely it's because of their childhood and how they've been treated and what's happened to them. Bullies are insecure, we know that. People that treat you badly are people that probably were treated badly themselves when they were kids. It's not an excuse, by the way, because there are lots of people that had awful childhoods who are just lovely. And that's because they've been on a journey of self-reflection and they've kind of fixed themselves. And that's, by the way, another big part of this show is the idea that however you are is not permanent, that it's all repairable. Your, Your life is a great work in progress. Okay, and you're allowed to change the script. That's the magic of it. Last week I said, forgive yourself, because if you don't forgive yourself for previous mistakes, you can't move on. Um, But similarly, allow yourself to be reinvented. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I saw a nice quote the other day, and I've just written it down here, and it says, no one is coming to save you. Not the government, not your parents, not your boss, not your loved ones. Only you have the power to change your life. Now, that's a bit of a responsibility, but it's also incredibly exciting. If you think about it, you're the scriptwriter, you're the director, you are the producer, you're the CEO of your own corporation. Isn't that brilliant? So allow yourself to be intoxicated with the power. Anyway, there are difficult people out there. They're horrible. Um, Bullies, nasty people, whatever. Maybe someone at work that has stitched you up you know they've they've worked against you they've been a negative force so maybe they're bitching about you to the boss but for one reason or another let's say there's a person let's call him Leonard and Leonard is a troublemaker so perhaps in the meeting he kind of makes barbed remarks about you or you hear that he's telling the boss that you're rubbish or maybe he's telling lies about you or maybe he's copying your work and taking credit for it, okay? Whatever it is that somebody is doing, just take a note of it, okay? Uh, Write it down, that wouldn't hurt because easier to remember if it's written down. But just um, keep it in the data bank for a future reference, okay? You're like, okay, Leonard, all right? He's done this, this, and this. And it's not holding a grudge. It's just up-to-date information about this person who is a negative force in your life. And you're armed with that information going forward. So that let's say your bosses have a meeting with you and they say, well, um, we might bring Leonard into your department. What do you think? Well, that's the point at which you get your revenge. Okay, You don't have to go after Leonard until the opportunity arises. And that's the moment where you go, well, Leonard's great. He lied. Leonard's great, but I think I think that um, Barry would be would be the right person. Okay, so Barry comes into the team, not Leonard. Leonard doesn't get the opportunity because he's been a piece of work. He's been a so and so, and you took note, and you waited for your moment to exact revenge. Shakespeare said, "Revenge is a dish best served cold." What he meant by that is you know, you don't get your revenge in the heat of the moment. That's where murderers go wrong. They're so furious that they just like, they do all that killing, you know, and that's really like unwise. Just be calming. Okay. You've just been horrible to me or you've just really, really, really stitched me up. Fine. Thank you. No problem. In a way, do you know what it's like? It's like poker, isn't it? It's like a poker face. So you don't register their behavior. 
And that makes your enemies very vulnerable because they don't think you've noticed or they think they got away with it. But in fact, you've demonstrated quiet power and you're waiting for your moment. There's that lovely old saying, which is it's a proverb. If you wait long enough, the bodies of your enemies will pass you in the river. So when it comes to negative people, just be patient and be strategic. I think it ties in with the art of war, which we did a special on a few weeks ago. The art of war episode, well worth listening if you haven't caught it. But if there's a bad person, I think you're very dispassionate, right? Don't go emotional, just get real calm, real rational. All right, you just called me an idiot. You've just humiliated me in front of my friends or colleagues. No problem. Cool. It's all right. No, I, I don't mind. Um, and then also it's that thing of, you know, Leonard. Why get angry with him? You just, in my head, I just think, okay, this person doesn't feature in my in my mindset, really. They're just, I mean, that, that expression dead to me, you know. You can do that socially as well. You can go, I'm, I'm not going to shout at you and I'm not going to get my own back. You're just gone. You're, in my head, you're, you're, you're just out of there. And I find that very healing. You know, don't battle with these people. If someone's a negative force in your life, just disconnect. Don't give them the satisfaction of um, a battle, which is maybe what they wanted in, in the first place. So poker face with your enemies. Calm, strategic, dispassionate. Move on. Can we talk about leadership? Um, my most recent job, which is a TV show, which I love doing. It's a huge privilege. Um, I've learned lots of things. And one of the things I've learned about is leadership, because I guess as the host of a TV show, that gives me a sort of leadership role within the hierarchy. You have the senior management of the network, and then you have your executive producer, and then you've got your, your kind of senior producer. And, and you know, you've got these people, the hierarchy is quite fluid in the media, which I really like, um, partly because we're in the ideas business. So if the most junior member of the team has the best idea, that's the one that wins. Who cares if the boss has an idea? If it's not as good as what the junior member of the team suggested, then it will not prevail. So in a sense, leadership involves a flat hierarchy, um, especially when it comes to the competition of ideas. So if you're ha having a meeting, I don't think you should take into account necessarily people's job title. It's just the quality of the suggestions. Um, it could be that a very experienced person speaks with more authority because they've been there. They've got the T-shirt, you know, and they, they can say, well, look, here's an idea I would suggest based upon my years of experience. We did this before and it completely failed. And, you know, it's useful when people have that CV, that back catalogue of experience. But on the other hand, somebody new, somebody completely uh, junior can come up with a zinger of an idea. So. There's a really, really uh, very, very clever TV producer who had an idea for a show called Faking It. Now, Faking It was a Channel 4 series here in the UK, and I think it was sold around the world. And the idea is you would, it's a reality show, you would take somebody, let's say it was the plumbing industry, okay, and you take someone that had never been a plumber before, and for six weeks, they would train up to learn how to be a plumber and pretend to be a plumber. And then they would have to go into a plumber's, an actual company, and pretend they're a plumber and pull it off. 
and I think if they forgive my sketchy knowledge of the details of this, but if they if they successfully convinced this group that they were a plumber, then they won a cash prize. Um, and they had other shows where you'd have a working, very working class person would penetrate a very posh aristocratic environment and they had to pretend for a while that, that, that they were like fellow aristocrats. So they had to practice the accent. They had to practice walking a certain way. They had to practice the language that's used among posh people and they had to iron out their own working class accent. They had to learn how to eat properly and with the right knives and forks, yada, yada, you get the idea. Anyway, it's called faking it. So can a person from an environment trick people in another environment that they are they are um, from that community faking it um, which I understand is kind of the theme of my fair lady because the story goes that um, this boss was having trouble um, coming up with TV ideas he's like oh, I need some ideas and he, he's the guy that comes up with the ideas he's the genius with the ideas and his wife, who is not a TV person, and it's not her job to come up with TV ideas, she said, why don't you do My Fair Lady in reverse? And he said, that's a really good idea. And I think the story of My Fair Lady is when someone has to um, pretend to be one thing and then they're another. So it's interesting. This guy's wife came up with the idea, not him. She wasn't a TV person. So all ideas are welcome. And I think that's very important in a professional setting. And that's essential to leadership is to to hear everyone out you need carrot and stick we know that sir alex ferguson was very famous the iconic football manager he knew which players to be hard on and to punish and to shout at and which players to be gentle with and to reassure and he made a judgment about their character and about their personality so, for example, Ryan Giggs is somebody that Ferguson was very hard on. And that's because Fer because Giggs could could take it. Giggs had a thick skin. He was a strong personality. So Ferguson was very hard on him. But there were other players that Ferguson was more gentle with. And he knew they were a fragile soul. So you've got in leadership and frankly, as you go about your life, you know, whether it's family members, whether it's loved ones, you've got to make a judgment about the people around you and how to conduct yourself and the extent to which you can be tough on some people and gentle with others. You make that calculation. You're endlessly calibrating your relationship with others. And the better that you judge that, the more success you'll have professionally and also the better of a private life you will have as well. You know, I'm married and I've got kids and I've got friends and my job is, is constantly to sort of gauge, you know, how they're feeling. And I said, oh, my son seems a little moody this morning. I think he's tired. He's giving very short answers. So my calculation is I'm going to ease off. I'm not going to like push it too much. He doesn't want to talk this morning. And that's okay. I'll allow that. And it's just that thing that, you know, there are people that don't have that radar. They haven't got the social radar, have they? Where they can't take a hint. They can't pick up on someone else's vibes, on someone else's energy. But make it your task to read other people all the time, to just observe their body language, to listen to what they're saying and the way that they say it. Make yourself a student of every other human being. 
Okay, so even when you get on the bus, you look at the bus driver and just judge how to say good morning based upon the look in their eyes and their body language. And when you go to work, just feel your way around with your colleagues. We know, for example, don't we, that you don't ask for a pay rise until you sort of sort of feel, you suspect that the boss is in a good mood. That's the moment to pounce and talk about the pay rise. You've got to judge it. The same in a relationship. You know, what about intimate matters? Judge it with your partner. When's the right moment to be intimate? Well, you know, feel it out. Not when they appear to be very stressed and in the middle of a work crisis. So judge, judge, judge. I think judgment is not a muscle that we use enough as human beings. But think about things. Be, Be a detective of the human soul, right? Be Hercule Poirot. Be... Miss Marple, right? Be Inspector Clouseau, you know? And just gauge, 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 gauge. Because what we do is we're in our own bubble and we're just very self-absorbed and all we think about is ourselves. But if you become a good student of other people and a good reader of human nature, you will go far and you'll get the most out of yourself and out of them. Um, Leadership involves a bit of tough love. So for example, if you're putting together a team, that team will change over time and it will shed. You're going to shed a little bit like um, a cat sheds its fur. Okay. And therefore there's always going to be dead wood in the team and you have to move it on. If you've got people that have been with you for a sustained period of time, you've tried to make them better. You've raised concerns. You've given them the opportunity to change. That opportunity has not been seized upon. If it's the same mistakes day in, day out, then you have to, you've got to let those people go. You must cut away that dead wood. It's always finessing. You see, that's the amazing thing. Right? This is not, and that might seem very brutal and very beastly and very unfair, but it's only if you want to win. You know, if it's a business, if it's a project, look at that TV show, The Apprentice, you know, there's always one weak link that makes the business idea collapse. And if everyone had, you know, really delivered, then it would have succeeded. You don't need those people. But what's exciting is that somebody that seems terrible and is hopeless, you know, they're they're unqualified for the job and they don't have the skill set. And it's just wrong, wrong, wrong. But if you give those people the feedback, if you give them time and you give them the opportunity to change, learn and improve, and take responsibility for their mistakes, the terrible person becomes the amazing person, the most important member of the team ever. The people that can improve themselves and fix themselves. I mean, in a way, they're the true rock stars. They're the real heroes. And so therefore, it doesn't really matter what you start with, but it's about the person's journey, their trajectory. How are they developing? And if they can't change, if they don't take responsibility, if they're always saying sorry for the same mistakes and there's no new, you know, there's no new, new, um, there's no new story, right? It's just the same old, you know, with, um, let's come up with her name. What should we call her? Should we call her Claire? You know, Claire's in a rut. You had, you, there's been problems with, problems with Claire last year. 
And here we are a year on and we've got the same problems and we've told Claire and we've given Claire an opportunity to da-da-da-da. It ain't getting better. You actually owe it to Claire to cut away that deadwood because she's obviously in the wrong place, the wrong business, the wrong industry or the wrong team. And she could go and smash it somewhere else because it just wasn't the right fit. I mean, that might be why Claire didn't improve is because this wasn't right for her. Or maybe she didn't change because she just didn't want it enough. And wanting it, by the way, is everything. It's everything. I promise you, it's 3% talent, 97% wanting it. It just is. Because human beings will move mountains if that's what they want, if that's their goal. And by the way, setting goals is absolutely key. Human beings work towards goals. Remember the big mantra of this show, okay, which is focus on your goals, not the barriers. Forget about the things that are getting in the way. Just focus on that, that end goal. I'm going to clear my mortgage or I'm going to get married or I'm going to this or I'm going to that. I'm going to pay my, settle my credit cards or I'm going to go on a, a light once in a lifetime holiday and buy a car. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, I'm going to become a best-selling author. Right, focus on that goal. And you're writing the story on your laptop and you're tired. You're like, oh, I don't fancy writing today. But yeah, but you want to be the new Stephen King. You want to be a best-selling author. The first step is to have a book, right? Once you've got a book, you're closer to becoming Stephen King. So even if you're feeling tired, you don't fancy... You don't fancy writing. You focus on that goal and that will pull you out of it. It will pull you through. We are goal-led human beings, right? Just treat it as a game, a game that you're here to win. Focus on the goals, not the barriers, the bigger picture, the big target. Um, you also need, in a team, you need people that are reliable. So... I work in broadcasting, live broadcasting. If a story breaks, you know, are the team, do they step up? Will they be there? Will they call in sick? Can I trust that they'll actually be there at all? Reliable, consistent, and also healthy. Now, how, what is that? Um, you need a team that are just well. If you've got a guy called Tony who just turns up and he's got, you know, he's just like washed out. He's low energy, he's exhausted, he drinks too much, he's a chain smoker, he just lives on Red Bull. Okay, now this is not a judgment thing. And of course, if Tony's delivering based upon this unhealthy lifestyle, all right, no problem, but I don't think he'll sustain it. You need your colleagues to be healthy. Okay, uh, maybe you can encourage them in that direction. I insist that my team have meetings outside we've got a roof terrace and we meet outside and we have fresh air and we have sunlight and i find it great for creativity um don't want my team down in the basement all day long you want them to be and remind them to eat have dinner have you know and eat well so that's what you need from your team they need to be healthy reliable consistent take responsibility willingness to change and the big word that i use for anyone if you're looking to recruit or promote, you've got the key word. You've got to ask yourself, is this person investable? Okay, 
investable. That's all you got. And by the way, that works for everything. It works for private life. It works for projects. It works for anything. Is it investable, right? So an entrepreneur, if they're going to buy a business, even if the business is losing money, right? They don't care. Entrepreneurs buy loss-making loss making businesses all the time. Entrepreneurs prefer loss-making businesses. Warren Buffett has been the richest man in the world, famous investor, and he loves to buy stock when it's crashing, when no one, will, no one else wants to buy that business. He loves to buy failing businesses. There are people that make billions from buying failing businesses. But what is the judgment they make? They make, they make the judgment that um, that chocolate factory right, is losing money, but it's investable. It's got potential. And so you've got to think about the people around you. Are they investable? And if they're not investable, if you don't feel like you can make them better and turn them around, then you need to pull the plug. Um, by definition, any friend is investable, right? That's what we do. That's what friendship is. It's an investment in someone else. What do you invest? Your time and your love and your affection. It's true for that too. There's someone, a friend that always lets you down and same excuses and you don't feel good when you're around them. And that's not an investable person. I know it's a very, not a very nice word to use about a human being, especially in the context of friendship, but it, it kind of gives you a flavor of, of what I mean. Look at every aspect of your life and ask how investable it is. And away you go. And by the way, a hobby is still investable because if it gives you pleasure, reduces your stress and is a welcome escape, then that makes it investable because it has value. Anything that has value is investable. Now, let's talk about a few other bits and pieces. My wife, um, she likes flowers, but she doesn't like me to buy her flowers, which is very convenient. And she rightly points out that flowers are very bad for the environment because you have just basically these massive monocrop fields in places like Holland with the tulips. And it's not it's not essential to survival, is it? You know, we need food or we die. But we don't need flowers. We're not going to die without flowers. So um, I don't think you need flowers. I think just forget about flowers, really, because there is an environmental impact. And then, of course, they only last a few days, don't they? Now, before you think I'm a horrible, joyless person, we have a simple alternative, which is plant. Just buy a plant because the advantage of a plant is it goes in a pot and then you put water in it and it lasts for months, if not years. So a plant is better than flowers. You're welcome. Um, another thing that I would recommend this is a swimming tip. Um, if you are uh, caught short, like let's say you're going swimming or you decide to go swimming and you don't have your swimming kit, swim in your underwear. Because most underwear looks like a swimsuit anyway. And all you've got to do, just don't hang around outside the pool, okay? If it is quite, quite similar to underwear, just come out of the changing room and just jump straight into the water. Just kind of run, run to the pool and just in you go. Have your swim, boom, and then you're out. Swim in your underwear if you have to. I know it's not ideal, but the Mark Dolan way is, is about those moments where you're in a corner, you're in trouble, you've got a situation and you need a solution, swim in your underwear. So I, I do swim. I, I'm quite lucky. I've got underwear that looks a bit like swimming costume, like a swimming, swimming stuff. I've got, I've got these kind of speedo type underpants, which I would argue look, look a bit like swimming trunks. And also who's really looking anyway. I've also got 
boxer shorts. I mean, boxer shorts are brilliant. They are, they are basically shorts, aren't they? So you're laughing. Uh, for women, I know it's a bit harder. Some bras do look a lot like bras, don't they? And that would be difficult, especially if it's like slight see-through element here and becomes mildly pornographic. So you would have to be careful there. You could make the children cry. But um, if it's a sort of very simple... I mean, I, I can't lie. I think I'm out of my depth here recommending what women swim in. Um, I think this is... I've, I've exited my comfort zone and my area of expertise. <laughs> I do think I think I think this might be one for the lads, really, which is and also, boys, you can't swim in your wife runs. And again, you can't swim in, in anything white because that will show and you'll probably get arrested. But uh, I, I can tell you, I have swum in my underwear. Oh, by the way. OK, how about this, though? In the sea. Seriously, swim in your underwear in the sea. So ladies and gentlemen, whoever's listening. If you decide you're at the seaside and you want to have a dip and you don't have your swimming stuff, please just swim in your bloody underwear. No one cares. It's the sea. Please. And also you're allowed to wee in the sea as well. Just bloody do it. Not the poo. I think the pooing is, is wrong, but I'll let you have a wee in the sea. What do you think about weeing in the shower, by the way? I don't like it. My family think it's fine. Ugh, I'm not having it. Because I think that the wee goes into the drain and I feel like even though it washes through, it's kind of just going to make a little deposit there, isn't it? It's going to linger. It's kind of cloying, isn't it? Urine is a very sort of cloying substance. I don't like the idea of that. When I was a kid, I'll shower. We had the shower and I went in there and it, it smelled like sort of gone off cornflakes. And I can never understand why this shower just smelled like gone off cornflakes. And I think what it was... Because, you know, sometimes when something smells of something, that's not what it actually is. I think it was sort of rancid, desiccated piss, possibly mixed with just dead hair, because a lot of hair builds up in showers. I think the wee has just kind of washed through this sieve of dead hair clumped together. Yuck. But it was a weird cornflaky, gone offy cornflakey smell in my childhood shower it wasn't good ngl that means not gonna lie it's the first letter of each word one after the other i didn't like it so i'm actually gonna say that on mark dolan the mark dolan way we we now are declaring you should not we in the shower i don't think it's right um what else uh the sauna i've started having the odd sauna and it's amazing isn't it i love it have a glass of water before you go in. You know me, I'm not obsessed with hydration and I think we overdo it with going around with two litre bottles all day long. I believe that you have a mechanism which is called thirst and that's what should lead how much you drink. But can I suggest to you, can I say to you that um, that uh, you have a glass of water before you go in and this lovely thing, the sauna pop to your local i mean my local municipal swimming pool has a sauna and the trick is you go into the sauna and then you also take another towel with you take a spare towel and when you're in the sauna wipe yourself down every so often because then all the toxins that come out can be wiped off your body and also your good skin will be dry again so when you're in the sauna you sweat and then you dry your skin with the spare towel and then you will sweat more. So you get more sweat out, more toxins. The point of the sauna is to sweat and the towel will sort of mop up all that rubbish. 
um, what sometimes people do is they, they sweat in the sauna and they go outside and they cool down and the sweat evaporates. It's like the point is to get it off your body. Also, you should go into the sauna dry. Some people like just go swimming and then go into the sauna wet. Everything should be dry because you are trying to provoke the sweat mechanism. You're not going to do that with wet hair and wet skin. So go into the sauna bone dry. You've got your spare towel. That's lovely. Cold shower afterwards. You'll find it very invigorating. If you're somebody that likes drinking, I mean, I don't know about you. I find like a cold beer so relaxing. I've been I'm on a big alcohol free window at the moment because I think that it's really good with these stimulants just to show them who's in charge. And it's been I reckon it's about three, four weeks since I had any alcohol. That's amazing, isn't it? You could say it's very boring. But anyway, I'm alcohol free and I feel, by the way, I've predictably feel much better as a result. Um, I find that I like to go alcohol free when I'm very busy, when I'm asking a lot of myself, demanding a lot of myself, giving 100 percent. Long hours, busy every day. I think that's the time to go alcohol free. And then if you notice that your diary relaxes a bit and there's not so much on, I mean, holidays are the best example. But let's just say that you've got a quiet week at work. Maybe that's when you pop out with your mates and have a couple of beers after work. You know, you're like, it's not the busiest week. There's a little bit of flex in the system. Because uh, I know this really good personal trainer and, and he's always saying to me, um, you know, you've got to think about what you're asking your body to do. So if you're working really hard at work, okay, really taxing and it's long hours, right, you're asking your body to produce that work. If you then go and get drunk and you have booze, then you're asking your body to handle the booze and process that and detoxify. Well, you're asking your body to do two different things. You're asking it to work hard at work and prevail and succeed and for you to be on top of your game. And then you're also asking it to process this horrific toxin. And those are contradictory with each other. So one or the other, that's different on holiday, right? On holiday, you're having sangria and you're having your drinks and everything. But then, you know, you sleep half the day. You're not working. You're walking around in the sunshine. You're completely relaxed. Your cortisol, which is the stress hormone, is low. So then all you're doing is you're, you're only asking your body to process the sangria and the San Miguel. And your body's like, OK, I, I got this. I got this. And, and you can handle that, which is why. Have you noticed? I've noticed that when I'm on holiday, I, I can handle much more alcohol and that, no hangovers. And I feel good all the time on holiday but that's because i'm only asking my body to do that one thing so have a think about what you're asking your body to do and at the moment i'm asking my body to work which is why i'm not putting other demands on it just think of it as a machine your body's a machine and how many tasks have you set for that machine and now how do we get on to how did we get on to the booze because uh, i would love to we were talking sauna and cold shower wasn't it but, um, oh, yes, that was it. If you've decided that you're going to have a little break from alcohol, let's say you're going to have a couple of weeks off and let's say you're missing that feeling. And this could be true for people that smoke the marijuana, by the way, because that's obviously has a, you know, some people smoke marijuana to relax or it relaxes them. If you don't have it, you, you're going to have some withdrawal and you're going to miss it. So. If you've skipped alcohol, you've skipped any any other stimulant which relaxes you and you're missing it, go and have a sauna. 
because having a sauna is like having a beer. I don't take drugs, but it's it's what I would imagine smoking marijuana is like. The sauna physically relaxes you. It's overwhelming. You've got the heat in there and you're sweating and you spend, spend as long as you can. Obviously, be careful. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I don't want you to have an accident in there, but leave when you're uncomfortable. Depends on the temperature, of course, of the, uh, of the sauna. If it's a bit too hot, you can start by sitting lower in the sauna because heat rises. It is noticeably cooler if you go down to the lower bench. Um, but I stay in there as long as possible. I can do about 20 minutes and then I'm struggling and then I'm out. And occasionally, if I really want to go for it, I will go into the sauna, sweat, then it's too much. I come out, cool down outside, dry off, and then go back in and do it again. Not for the same amount of time, but maybe another five minutes. But you'll just find it's almost narcotic in its in its um, in its application. The sauna, just so relaxing, and then you have the cold shower straight after, and you wash your hair, you dry your hair, and you put on clean clothes. You will feel a million dollars. So having a sauna is like having a beer. If you're going cold turkey, let me recommend it. Um, active holidays are great. I love for example my perfect uk holiday involves driving to a lovely natural spot like the lake district or the peak district or the seaside and you wake up in the morning and you have breakfast you've got your great hotel breakfast we've done a whole special show about the hotel breakfast and how to how to how to approach that because it's an absolute art form it's a great skill um and then try try just go to these places, right? And you just have a day and it's a big old hike, right? Big A big day of hiking and, and really work it. And remember on uh, the Mark Dolan Way show, we don't believe in lunch when you're on holiday, okay? What you do is you have a hearty breakfast. You bring a couple of extra things with you from breakfast for lunch, but you don't have a sit-down lunch because then it makes dinner even more enjoyable and saves you money. So I would suggest a big day of walking, uh, hiking, if you're in, if you're at the seaside, a big swim in the sea. And then in the evening, a wonderful meal that you'll look forward to and that you've earned. It's the same when you go skiing, you know, you get up in the morning, you've got your breakfast and you ski all day. And in the evening, you have a hearty meal. But active holidays are the best. I do enjoy the lazy beach holiday. But even that now with a beach holiday, I've introduced, I've introduced the activity into it. So Every other day, if I'm on holiday, like a beach holiday, do a really long run, right? An hour and a half, two hours, right? Crazy long run, a monster run. And then you relax and then you have a great meal and a great dinner and all that. And it's just, yeah, active holidays are nice. I'd recommend them. Uh, you weirdly, you come back, you, you obviously you're going to get fit and you come back having had a real proper break. Sometimes those holidays where all you do is, I mean, the worst holiday I've had, well, it wasn't really because I was working on the holiday, but it was like a holiday. I was working on a cruise ship and you just eat seven times a day. And all you're doing is sleeping, eating and sunbathing. And I felt terrible at the end of that week. I needed a holiday. How ironic. Um, right. Now, how are we doing? A few bits and pieces before we go. Where does the time go? Where does the time go? Uh, top tip, by the way. You can you can buy these devices that make ice, okay, and you fill them up, these little trays, and you pop them out. That's all right. If you've got time, 
go for it. But I find the cubes small and I find that they leak when they're in the freezer, creating this kind of glacier, this kind of chunk of ice at the bottom of the the bottom of the uh, the drawer. So I'm not fussed about making ice. I don't have space for an ice maker. God knows I'd love to. But let me recommend that you buy ice. Buying ice is amazing. I can get ice for a pound a bag and it will last me over a week. And I will tell you that purchased ice has changed my life. First of all, normally the ice you buy, it's it's normally made with filtered or spring water. It has to be, it's a product, it has to be clean. So that's nice. And it's normally big. It's normally big and chunky. I love big ice in my drink. And I just, having ice, I find it decadent. I just enjoy it. I've always loved, when I was a child, I used to suck ice all day long. But um, I love having it in the freezer and I just buy bags of this stuff. And I can reach in with my hand, a hot day, reach in with my hand, take a few chunks, drop it into the glass, pour in the drink. And purchased ice is very good. There are people that buy ice, there are people that don't. I think the reason also why I love ice is that my dad ran a pub for 40 years. So I was the son of a landlord and I had unlimited access to crisps and ice. My dad had, I think, at least two ice machines in the bar. So you could just go and help yourself. It was amazing. Just big machines that 24-7 generated ice. And by some kind of psychic genius, they always knew when when they'd filled up. That is a beautiful thing. Um, What does it say here? Oh, yeah. Um, If you're... uh, if you're quite busy, which I know you are, if you like good coffee, can I recommend that you filter your own coffee? There's so many different ways to have coffee. You've got the espresso machine. Well, you've got the fancy ones with the Nespresso and all of that, the George Clooney thing. And you've got instant coffee, which is all right. I think it's probably the lowest quality of the coffees. It does a job, you know, it does a job. But um, I like the filter coffee. So what you do is you get ground coffee and you've got a filter and you've got filter paper the filter paper goes in the filter and then you put the ground coffee in half a cup and then you pour boiling water over the top and you just let it drip and what i do is i have a big carafe right a big a big vase a big carafe which is i think normally for for white wine red wine but i just put the filter on top of that and i let the coffee drip and i make about a liter of filter coffee and i keep it in the fridge right it's really nice. And then what you do is you wake up in the morning and it's quite strong, right, this filter coffee. So you wouldn't have it sort of straight. What you do is you take a couple of centimetres, right? You take a sort of slug of it. You pour a couple of centimetres or an inch of coffee into your cup and then you add boiling water. And it's like the best ever instant coffee. And I'd really recommend that. Um, it's what we do. And I therefore have this fresh brewed coffee every day. But I haven't got to make it every day. I probably have to make it once every every four or five days and it's way better than instant coffee but it's instantly ready for you and what does this say savor what the hell is that savor crat can you read my writing savor craft just think what that would have been that's some kind of gold that we've sauerkraut you see i'm so glad we got there in the end um something i discovered recently I like sauerkraut, which is essentially pickled cabbage. It's a German delicacy. Could be Polish, by the way. Let's not get into a fight about it. 
And sauerkraut, it's it's basically cabbage soaked in cider vinegar or in vinegar. And these sorts of pickled foods are very good for your gut health for some reason. They're excellent for the gut bacteria. I think they, they have bacteria, the good bacteria in fermented food. Fermented food is bacterial and you eat it and those bacteria go into your gut and they enhance the population of good bacteria in your gut. So um, fermented food is good for you. I think that's official. Sauerkraut is one such food and I enjoy it. They have it in Germany and they put it on top of hot dogs and stuff like that, which is great. But um, I find it quite hard to eat. You know, it's very sort of crunchy and chewy. And also I find that it almost hurts my teeth, probably because it's so acidic. I get almost a little bit of sensitivity in my teeth when I eat the sauerkraut. So I, I knew that I needed sauerkraut to be healthy, but I struggled to eat it. So I had a very simple idea, which is the hand blender. Now, I'm very happy to make this my product of the week. And the good news is I've got no particular brand in mind because you can get any hand blender, even the cheapest. Um, the only difference I've noticed is the more expensive, they tend to last a bit longer. But if you're not using it often and you're not giving it hard tasks, um, any hand blender will do the job. You, you can get one quite literally for £12 and you will use it a lot. So what I did is I just thought, why don't I make my life easier by essentially pre-chewing, pre-digesting the sauerkraut with the help of a hand blender. So I took the sauerkraut out because it's big chunks of cabbage, right? Sort of shredded. And what I did is I took the hand blender and I blended the sauerkraut, turning it into a kind of mushy, mushy, moussey, mashed up sauerkraut. You still need to bite it a little bit, but of course it's been, it's been blended. It's been eviscerated. And I find that's a much easier way to eat sauerkraut and it's kind of delicious as well and I'm thinking it's probably good for my tummy because you know the blender has mashed it up so my when it goes into my gut it's not these big chunks of cabbage a relative of mine recently was eating pasta and then she got somehow something got stuck in her throat she was choking it was very serious I dragged her to the bathroom and I threw her over the sink and I bashed her back and she threw it all up right but something got stuck there she threw it anyway she'd there was just really big chunks of undigested pasta in her vomit. Sorry about this. I'm really sorry. I'm a family show and you're all trying to eat your dinner. But there was just like, it was spaghetti and there was like big proper intact chunks of spaghetti that she'd vomited up. Now, let me tell you that she is not chewing enough. Okay. If you vomit your food, you shouldn't be able to see what it actually was when it went in. So if you've eaten spaghetti and you vomit that up, it should not, not look like spaghetti. Right? It shouldn't. It should just be mushy, mush, mush. So can I say, first of all, that I really recommend that you chew your food properly so that it's unrecognizable if you if you sick it up, because your your stomach is not designed to like deal with big chunks of spaghetti and big lumps of meat. That's why we have teeth and that's why we have saliva which contains enzymes, which break down food. Digestion begins in your mouth. So I want you to eat your food, whoever you are, I want you to eat your food three times more slowly than you currently do and chew, chew, chew forever until it goes down. Anyway, um, the advantage of my blender is it kind of does that a bit for you and it makes things like sauerkraut easier to use. Um, it's very good. If you've got some meat that you're just bored of in the fridge, let's imagine there's a chicken breast and it's been sat there for a few days a cooked chicken breast and sat there for a few days 
and it's not inspired you. You had chicken breast last night. I don't want to eat chicken breast again, but I don't want to waste it. Once it's cooked, right, get the hand blender, put it in a bowl, blend it, right? Blend the chicken and then add some salt and pepper and then a tablespoon of mayonnaise. Mix it together and you've got yourself this very nice kind of mushy chicken breast pate, really. Just this lovely moussey thing. You could do that. It could go on bread, couldn't it? But we're low carb, so um, it could go on low carb bread. We could just eat it on its own or have it with some lovely vegetables or something. Have it on, have it with avocado. How nice would that be? Or you could even do one of those low carb sandwiches where you take a, a big chunky leaf of lettuce and you put the chicken inside and then another slice of lettuce and the lettuce is like the bread. God, that doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Um, but listen, it's it's really good. The hand blender, mash up food and, and, and enjoy eating it on a future occasion. Um, I've done that with, I will tell you one recipe, which is nice. Uh, prawns. I once overcooked some prawns and they were chewy. And I didn't love them. So the next day I blended them into this prawny paste. I then mixed that with tomato ketchup and mayonnaise, which, as you know, ketchup and mayo is basically it's a Marie Rose sauce. The classic sort of seafood sauce is mayonnaise plus ketchup. And it produces that lovely Thousand Island pink sauce. Right. So you've got your obliterated blended prawns, a bit of Marie Rose sauce and that on top of half an avocado. Absolute heaven and low carbohydrate. What's not to like? How are we doing for time? Blimey. I think I think we better wrap this one up, hadn't we? Hadn't we better wrap this one up? Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. No one is coming to save you. Not the government, not your parents, not your boss. By the way, I'm not I don't want to depress you with this. This is a good news story, not a bad news one. No one is coming to save you. No one's not the government, not your parents, not your boss, not your loved ones, not your friends. Only you have the power to change your life. How exciting is that? You are the CEO. Be corrupted by that power this week, okay? You're the boss. You decide everything. Go crazy with it. Be your own bonkers dictator. There's no democracy. There are no elections. You are the monarch. You're the emperor. You're the scriptwriter. You're Steven Spielberg. And this is your movie, baby. Go, go, go. Have a great week and I'll see you in a week's time.